you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name's Sam Moses. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. And today, we want to talk about an interesting topic. I think we're titling it, Anything You Do Changes Everything. And we're just going to unpack a little bit today on helping people understand that anything you do in audio to your track, whatever stage you're at, impacts everything and how that also relates to your life. So Matt, would you like to unpack it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Back to the unpacking. The suitcase is wide open. It's starting to sound like a sex hotline in here. <laughs> well, it's huh. not. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> take a lap, Sam. Take a lap. Uh, you said the word sex. I don't want to do another intro. This intro is perfect. Excellent. This intro is beyond perfect. All right. I'm in. I'm ready. I'm just going to tee up a little bit. Okay. Let's go golf. Okay. So how did, like, how did we even get on this conversation? This is like, so Sam and I have like a, a little text chat. We go back and forth every day just about random things that come, that come across uh, feeds or anything that we might be involved in. How do we come across this, Sam? Uh, I came across this idea. Uh, basically, it's kind of an observation of probably lots of years, but more recently, as we've been talking about over time about uh, mixers sending heated mixes to the artists to approve, basically meaning they put a limiter on it at the last minute to beef up the volume to kind of, I don't know, make it sound like a master track or potential end product. And there seems to be a misunderstanding that when you throw that limiter on your mix, even though it's one plug-in and say it's just a single band and it's taking off a dB or two and that's it, you have just changed everything in your song because it is shape I mean it's shaping and shifting all the transients, all the samples, everything from beginning to finish has just changed drastically. And there seems to be within audio, what I've observed is that people have pretty much deemed mastering the time where you actually care about things and that everything actually impacts everything and the rest of the process is just kind of like we throw whatever we want at the song and then hope it turns out right. And this is basically a challenge to everyone to get back to an idea that anything you do from the start of writing a song will change everything about the end product and will probably impact the success of that project. And so I've just observed it for the last few years of mixers, specifically just because I'm at the mastering stage, who will basically be shooting themselves in the foot because they're sending a hot mix to their client that actually doesn't sound that great while their mix itself, without the limited that I get, sounds terrific um, most of the time. 
And then I have to try and recreate basically what the artist has signed off on overall because they're expecting that, which then puts mm-hmm. me in a corner and then try and make it better as well, which is usually what I do and what I get paid for. But it's kind of just a misunderstanding of anything you put on your chain and anything you do in your life too in general impacts everything. And I think we've started Mm. to miss um, because we have such access to everything in life with subscription plans and unlimited plugins and constant updates of plugins and new plugins. And we have forgotten um, that everything you toss on anything and even in your life, like access to food and alcohol and anything you want, you can get with Amazon instantly. It impacts everything else. And I just see it. And and this isn't like a, a negative uh, chat or saying like, let's go back to some old times where like things were slow and you had to wait forever to get, I don't know, groceries delivered to you or you had to go to the store. This is more so a... Um, I would love to see people, and it's a challenge to myself too, even when I pick out you know, a signal chain, that anything I am doing is going to change everything and it has a ripple effect. So that is kind of where it came from is just an observation of basically, you know, I feel like we're putting out for a lot of people a lesser product strictly because throughout the stage, the creation stage of the song, people have compromised and tried to get a sneak peek of the end product instead of embracing the whole process and trusting each person to do what they're supposed to do. Which I know like a lot of mixers I've talked to, you know, they're stuck with that. Well, the artist, you know, they just don't think the mix is good unless it's loud, like everything they're comparing it to. And that's always goes back to like, it's your job to educate, you know, as a mixer that proper mastering will take care of that. And we've talked about it before of basically like if you can get your artists to allow the mastering person to do their job, then hopefully some trust is instilled in that relationship and team that, okay, the mix can just be the mix and then the master will take care of, you know, the final volume and making sure it's competitive for the market you're trying to win. So that's kind of where it came from. Um, and that is my monologue one. Matt, what do you think about it? That was a pretty quick monologue. You know, it's <clears throat> there's not a whole lot to say about it. I mean, there's there's some, and that's the episode. Some key points. <laughs> We're wrapped, and that's all. <laughs> Cueing music. <laughs> there was a there was a part of monologue number one. Like, have you ever had it where you want to like say something and like you open your mouth to say something? <laughs> And, like, something comes out, but it's not the volume or, like, anything that you intended it to be. Yes. And, like, literally, I'm looking at the waveform now, and in the middle of that monologue, I remember saying, like, yeah, but, like, it was a whisper. Because, <laughs> like, I couldn't get it out. Like, I was agreeing with you. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, if you heard a creepy, yeah, we're totally yeah. leaving it in there. Oh, yeah, it's staying. But it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Um. I mean, it definitely hits home, I mean, for the mastering stage. And if you want to think of it like kind of like a reverse engineering it from the mastering stage, it's like you obviously know that any little movement that you do, call it with an EQ, 
I mean, changes anything. If you have a vocal that's too harsh, a guitar, like a guitar that's just cutting through too much or something like that, and you really dig into that frequency range, you'll, you know that you are not just affecting one thing. And it can affect, like, like just because you have something there, harmonically you could be affecting something else in a like completely different part of the track and removing either clarity, removing something that was like the perception of dynamics or um, you could be uncovering something else somewhere else. Um, I mean, you never, you never really know. Um, and then like, okay, well that's not now center stage. So now what is going to be center stage? And then was it just a good idea to leave that alone in general? Like, should I just not even have touched that? So, <clears throat> so then working back from there, I mean, I don't know why, like, when we do these things, I like, have, like, a terrible frog in my throat. <clears> throat> Excuse me. Um, but, yeah, like, you get into, like, back into the mix stage and then the production side of it and engineering. And it's kind of funny because I think one of the ways this conversation started is we've had the talk back and forth about how top mix engineers will be like, yeah, I'm completely in the box. And I think um, I think I dumbed it down to, like, it's now a status thing of, oh, look, I'm working in the box and my mixes sound way better than yours and right. I'm working on, like, mar- not Maroon 5 or, I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm working on, like, these top artists and I'm in the box and then <laughs> I think Sam said... Yeah, you're working on these top artists, but you just like tracked through like a million dollar vocal chain, going right. through like a whole Neve console using everything in the book. But now you have these like pristine tracks, exactly. And it's like, oh, we'll use uh, use Andrew Shep's preset for this, and it's like, yeah, but you didn't track it like Andrew Shep's tracked it, right? And even if you use his tricks, you're not using his board, right? You're not using all the other stuff that he's using, and like you'll use like any of the CLA presets and anything. And it's like, well, I'm not getting the same thing. Well, yeah, because you're not doing it through, like, this insane... I think he uses an SSL. Yeah. And then he uses, like, I think... I saw he uses, like, all focus, right? Like, that red net or whatever it is, conversion. Yeah. And so it's like, the dude is just doing this insane, insanely expensive, like, tracking methods. And so, yeah, he's getting really, really incredible sounding like mixes because his sources are incredible. Right. And <clears throat> now starting from the beginning, anytime that you change something from engineering, anytime that there is a shortcut made or um someone doesn't want to do X, Y, or Z because of whatever financial reason or the time reason or something like that and you're not doing it right. It's like you're just tracking a really trashy drum part, and you're like, "Oh, don't worry, we'll just we'll just put all samples on that." Right. And it's like, well, you're never going to be able to play it because you can't play it now, so it's going to make you think you can tour the record, and so then that scales up, and it's like you get into mixing, and say you don't like re say you don't sample something, or say like you use really terrible um, overhead mics in a really brittle sounding room. And you and you say it's like yeah I really hate these mics but I just use them <laughs> because I have them and it's like well 
crap, dude, this does nothing for any of us. And now it's my problem. When you could have just gotten better microphones, literally, like if you wanted to stay cheap for freaking $300. Right. So for like two microphones, it's like, why are you even bothering doing this now? Like, why even put in the overheads? <laughs> so it just, any corner that you cut, it comes back full circle and then it becomes our problem to where like everyone like is expecting us to turn uh <laughs> there's a saying turning chicken shit into chicken salad <laughs> and it's like I'm not saying that that's what we do but I mean I will say that like I think uh, I think Streaky has the has the saying that and well I agree with some stuff uh, there's other things I don't just like he is like way too definitive in like what he says but one of the things I do agree with him is uh, mastering should be more of a haircut and not heart surgery. <laughs> and But, I mean, I feel like all of us to a degree feel like <laughs> in maybe even in the earlier days and maybe even today that we are more heart surgeons than barbers. Right. But, I mean, even, even as of a couple weeks ago, I mean, I like completely uh, reconstructed like a whole album. And it's like I'm just like just tuning stuff in on the massive passive is like holy crap this is incredible sounding now so um but I, I i would prefer and i'm pretty sure all mastering engineers would prefer to not have to do that right um but yeah so ideally do it right in the beginning and then it's nobody's problem <laughs> you just did it right is it bizarre that like the people who used to do all of this used to wear lab coats and suits to work oh yeah I'm on this page on Facebook, which has been, it's not just audio, it's just like anything that just like heavy old tech. Mm -hmm. It's a page called At The Controls, and they show like the 1960s way that like the old like subway systems in Japan were controlled, and like the whole boards they used for that, and they would show uh, like old TV stations, and they'd show old recording studios, and you'd see the guys like in suits, like in a tie, in a lab coat adjusting a microphone and this dude had a freaking physics degree <laughs> like he knew how to take that microphone apart and he's like oh yeah this ribbon's a little weird i'm gonna go re and replace this yeah and he knew like the exact pr like procedures to do that as opposed to just like someone today like spitballing and being like oh hope this works right so and then you get it all fixed you put it back on there and you realize you left the, f the phantom power on and snaps the ribbon <laughs> right away <laughs> i don't know so it's like there, there, there is another episode underlying this episode that uh, I've had a desire to do for. Uh, I think Sam and I have been talking about it for about six months, mm -hmm. and we want to interview somebody, and we want to talk about something that they mentioned in another a podcast they did, and it is completely around how we've traded. Um. We've traded quality to a degree for access to being able to do this. And if there is any redemption in being able to do this. So we got I we're we're gonna hope to <laughs> we're gonna hope to do that episode one of these days. Yes. But but yeah, uh I said a lot there, Sam. It's <laughs> great. It's Mon not really a monologue as opposed to just like monologue number complete one. word vomit. <laughs> it's not even a monologue, <laughs> completely unconstructed. Just whatever. <laughs> so, 
I mean, this this has me thinking about like now that we're talking more about it is within the mastering stage. There's so much focus on volume and loudness, and on well, how anal you have to be too. Right, and I think to me like there's just we've just missed so much about the real issue at hand is that the sourcing was terrible, you know, or the mix was terrible and we can only get things so loud. There's a lot of talk about normalization and headroom and how that is the issue of why your song doesn't sound good or loud. And we've talked about it in previous episodes, but it really comes back to this idea that anything you do changes everything in that, you know, people are concerned about how loud their song is going to play back on digital platforms. But in reality, that's not the thing that's like the final output of your song is probably not going to impact how loud it comes back out because normalization set so low that it's pretty much changing every song, no matter what level you're at. And you can be super low and it'll get turned up and you can be super loud and it get turned down to the platform's desired playback and that's normalization's purpose, but there just seems to be this um, naiveness or almost laziness within the industry that, you know, if it doesn't play back loud, that's what I've noticed last three to four years is like, if someone comes back to me after they've signed off the song, the song gets released and they go, hey, this sounds quieter than this song, you know, did you do something wrong, basically? They blame the mastering guy, almost always. It's always the mastering fault that it's not loud enough. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, the sourcing wasn't great, and the mix determines how loud anything can go to me. Like, a great mix. A, A lot of the mixers I work with are terrific, and their mixes are nice and, I'll say, modern, compressed, balanced is probably the biggest thing. They're just balanced well and translate well already. And you can pretty much take those types of mixes as far as you want to go and have no distortion, really no lack of, like, to me, the impact that dynamic range brings. They figured out a way to make it perceived as still dynamic and punchy. And it's pretty insane what I can take some people's mixes to and then other people, they'll be 3 to 4 dB quieter just because the mix falls apart. Uh, if you do anything more. And I think that's something of when people are mixing, I think they just assume that whatever the mix ends up being, the mastering guy should be able to polish it and fix it and make it as loud as, you know, whatever song is number one currently. And there just seems to be, it's not even like, maybe laziness was the wrong word. It's just they people literally don't know that the type of mix you give to your master engineer drastically changes everything about the end result. Yeah. And when you put on, you know, a limiter as a mixer or you do anything to the mix last minute and give it to the artist, you have changed everything mentally for that artist of what they're expecting from the master and what they're, you know, they're judging your mix based on that heater you just sent them, not on your actual mix skills. And this is something I've tried to help mixers understand is like, the mix you send me to master is such a good representation of a mix. Like, it's balanced and it's great. 
and then you take 2db off and think nothing's happening but in a critical listening environment like i have the songs sound totally different like a bead even volume matched and to me it represents a less the mix to me quote unquote, you know they're calling it a mix still sounds worse than their actual mix that i work off of so it makes to me it makes them look like not as good of a mixer because stuff's kind of like crunchy and brittle usually because most people just put some random limiter on and just take a few db off and hope that's good <laughs> but it's one of those things of an education process that I hope this episode helps people think about more is like trusting the stage you're at is the stage you're supposed to be at, knowing that you're about to hand it off to someone else. Just like for mastering, like when I'm done and we've made the DDP, we hand it off back to the label or artist or whoever to then trust that the CD gets made correctly or that it gets mm-hmm. uploaded correctly or the right metadata is you know, continued on. And that's, it's all like, it all compounds to the final product that then the public experiences and hears. And there just seems to be a lost art on like people taking the time to think about what am I throwing on this? Like, Oh, random plugin, random preset, random piece of gear thinking, well, I random piece of something. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Random piece of something and thinking this is good or helping or that it's even necessary. Like one of the funny kind of ongoing jokes that I have with my wife is like version. And this is more so at like the mix stage. I found like version one of the mix can never be correct with a lot of clients. Like it just can't be because people are expecting they've had such bad experiences overall in the music world that there has to be something wrong. And I see it sometimes on the mastering stage too, where it's like, there has it's very rarely that people <coughs> expect to get back now a product that's actually correct which i think is very telling of the industries how it's changed where everything that everyone gets back they're expecting to beat it up be like we need to change a lot of things and somewhere along the line like i think it you know you talk about guys being in lab coats like knowing the microphone in and out there was a stage where what you tracked was the final product. (laughs) Like you didn't get to do a revision other than you do a whole new take of everything, you know, to vinyl or tape or whatever. And I feel like there's just been something lost in our process where the accessibility, you know, to digital has allowed us to do everything infinite amount of times. And because of that, people have compromised and just thought, well, we'll just do like a million revisions and that'll just become the normal. And I have no issues with revisions, and I I even preach like the no leads to the yes. So if a client wants to hear something different, that's fine. But there is a mentality within the industry that anything you get back the first round can't be correct. It's just like when some I'll I'll engineer a session here and there, and like the vocalists, a lot of vocalists will nail the demo run like perfectly when you're like, oh, I'm just getting levels, and a lot mm-hmm. of time it's like I know how to get levels by now instantly almost. <laughs> and the signal chain I want to use for the type of vocal. And, you know, the first take will be incredible because they don't think it's a keeper. And then you kind of tell them, like, hey, that was great. You know, let's do another one. And then you go back to the first one, and you're like, oh, it's just so much better. But they they can't get over it. They're like, that can't be it. 
the first one. It can't be that one. And it's like this mental game of almost like people need to know it takes time and it takes lots of versions for it to be worth the amount of money they're spending maybe, which might be a whole other like psychology episode or something, the value that's that's being given. But I just it just seems like there is a the industry's in a very interesting spot where there's been a lot of miseducation and a lot of things have been compromised and it's really making everyone kind of suffer and be somewhat frustrated. Like I rarely talk to someone in the industry who's like really happy with like what's going on and workflow and clients. Um, there's a lot of unhappy people. There's a lot of unhappy artists in general who don't like their product. And it just, to me, comes back to this idea of like anything you do changes everything. And if you don't start your project from the beginning with the intentionality of let's not just settle and pass this on to the next person and have them try and fix it. And then all of a sudden you're at mastering and you don't like your guitar tone or something. It's like, we're just, we're too late. Like you missed it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're too far into this. And, you know, if you would have thought about it or spoke up or someone, you know, would have mentioned something and changed it earlier then we wouldn't be in this situation. And that's really what this is all about is like, at the mastering stage, I want everyone to get the best in product back that they can get. And there are so many times where I hear things where it's like, oh my gosh, I can tell you recorded this like on the microphone was facing backwards or something. Like it's just, there are things I hear that I'm like, I can't believe this is the final thing, you know, or that was allowed or that passed. And, it just, it's kind of, it's sad. Like, this isn't too, like, a sob story episode. It's just a challenge. Like, I want to encourage everybody to, whatever you're doing this week, like, if you feel like you have no time to, like, spend to really work on your song or the production or the engineering or the mixing, like, know that you have time and doing it right and taking the extra time to figure out, is this the best possible thing I can do to serve the client currently is always worth it long term. Like you'll never regret going to bed and being like, "Oh yeah, I really spent some time on that vocal and now it's sit it's sitting great." As opposed to like, "Yeah, I just threw on a CLA preset and I guess that's what he does, so that must be good." Like <laughs> it's just miss the whole point of the process and the joy and the work and figuring things out and and fighting for the best possible thing you can give to your client because they're paying you money and they're paying you for your expertise and your time. And when you compromise on that and you just kind of give up and decide to not, you know, give them a hundred percent of yourself, then that's to me not a good way to run a business. So that's my monologue number two. Got it. What do you I think? I took Matt? some notes about oh, things I want to talk about. Great. Let's go. So about your whole first take, perfection. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, Controversial. Something that was kind of interesting is I have also experienced something like this. And it was way back when I used to fly a bunch. And say if I hadn't flown for three or four weeks, my first landing would be 
incredible. Like you wouldn't even hear the, like you wouldn't even hear the wheels squeak. Like you wouldn't even <laughs> feel that you were like touching the runway. You just hear like the wheels start rolling, just like, fuh, 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 fuh. <laughs> it's like you're like, oh, we're down. Okay, perfect. And it'd just be like complete greaser. It'd be perfect. But like if I was just practicing landings by like landing nine, it'd just be like wham, just like right <laughs> onto the like, yep, we we are on the ground. <laughs> so I completely understand that. Um and it's like you're not expecting that. And I don't know, I haven't been flying in, I don't know, nine, eight, nine years. So <laughs> that means that my next landing is going to be perfect. <laughs> so if I ever get like one of those things, I'm riding in like a jumbo jet and then he was like, is anyone a pilot on board? It's like, I'm not, but I haven't landed in a long time. So I'm due for a good landing. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was the first one. So I completely understand and... Uh, believe that whole fir- first take of perfection. Um, in regards to sending heated mixes to clients, uh, and this is mainly like uh, mixing engineers and producers, um, I am not for it. <clears throat> I don't really think that it does a good service, um, mainly because sometimes a song just should not be as loud as a client's hearing it. Um, this comes from a place of, say you're, say you're making a five song album and song four and three are screaming loud. Um, but that's not really how the album like is wanting to be put together. And that sounds weird for me saying, but it's like, I feel like everyone mastering wise, at least we'll get that. If like that's not as that's not how everything's wanting to be like like set at level wise, but mm, that's interesting. I never really now, thought about that for but, some reason. But the thing is, is that as a mastering engineer, now you're pressured to hit that level, yes. if not exceed it. Yes. And if I turn in something that is quieter than that, I'm not really being set up for success, even though I'm doing more of a service to that album by submitting a quieter master. So I've, I've, I've wrestled with this a lot, and I'm not saying to stop doing it, um, but on, if anyone's listening to this who is not uh, like a mastering engineer or mix engineer, so like producer, someone who receives mixes back, client, etc., um, know that if something's quiet, that it doesn't mean that something's wrong. I like that. It's just quieter. And... Uh, that doesn't mean that anything is wrong with it. It just means that the mastering engineer did not believe that it should be as loud as heated mixes. Now, if you are a producer, a mix engineer, and you like to send heated mixes, um, that's completely fine. Um, but I find that the cards are stacked against the mastering engineer. If you don't send those heated mixes to the mastering engineer along with everything else you deliver because I don't know what the client's been listening to and now I'm just trying to beat like your really loud and like reference with a clipper on that I've never heard and I mean you could have it at minus two and I'm like well I don't really think it should be there and all of a sudden I lose because I delivered it at minus five I'm not speaking from personal experience I'm just situationally just kind of talking on my butt here um so always send that heated mix or a whatever you want to call it 
uh, to the mastering engineer so they know what you've been listening to uh, and what you've been referencing some stuff to. And I'll have some mix engineers be like, hey, they, they like send me so much stuff. They'll be like, okay, here's a... Here's this with no limiter, no clipper. Here's this with a clipper, and then here's the mix. And so it's like I'll have one of those for each one, and then I'll have an instrumental for that one, and then an instrumental with a clipper, and then an instrumental with a limiter and a clipper, and we should be like, oh, man. And it's like if this guy listens to this, he'll know exactly who he is, and I think his mixes are incredible. Um, but And he's like, yeah, man, you can use the you can use one with the limiter or the clipper or whatever. He's like, I'll just give them all to you. And it's cool, but I ended up using, I always end up using just his mixes because I just always think that the original mix just sounds fantastic. Yeah. And there's, and chances are there's no reason why that limiter and clipper need to be on there unless you're just trying to get additional volume. And so, like, I have told him, I was like, you have, like, fantastic mixes. There's, there's no reason to, like to juice this stuff up unless like that's just how you want to deliver it to the client. And it's like I completely understand. Um but yeah, just make sure like I guess end of the story, make sure that you're sending those heated mixes and whatever to the mastering engineer just so they can know what expectation the um the client has and then if we need to communicate back to the client, hey, I don't really think that this end product should be as loud. Um, I just want you to know that. Yeah. That you'll probably get like a quieter thing. Or if they want it as loud, then they can voice that. But like at least at that point, like a dialogue has happened. So it's like there's nothing really chummy going on. Like uh, expectations have been communicated. And I think that's like the biggest part of, you can call it people management. You can call it just like... uh, client relations, whatever you want to call it, but just make sure that that conversation has happened. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing, um, we were talking about how some mixes, like it, it, it is completely dependent on how good everything leading up to the mastering was in order to get that certain type of a loudness level. Because it, at the end of the day... <clears throat> It is what is being pushed forward to essentially create that, uh, I'm going to stick with RMS, to create that RMS, call it a power factor, Mm -hmm. that is driving uh, that mean average number up. Um, So, And there's going to be a certain part of the song that typically is going to drive that more than others. Um, and if that is missing, then typically the that figure will be substantially lower. Um, so if it's the low end, that's what's going to be driving things, uh, and it's a muddy, jumbled mess, then I'm not going to be able to do a lot with it. But, I mean, I got a, uh, uh, a kid's album, like a three-song EP, and it was mixed fantastically, and it sounded really good, and I just kept on turning it up because it didn't tell me to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like next thing I know, I'm like, oh wow, this is like minus three. Okay, whatever. I'll probably just cool it there. <laughs> and it sounded really good, and it was mixed really well. It was uh, really good for the genre and like what these kids were listening to. And it's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And it was great. So if it's mixed great, it can go loud. 
And that kid's album now competes with like pop music because it's in that specific range of where all of that likes to be. And stuff that I've did on either side of that session, they were not that loud just because I, I couldn't do anything. And mentally, uh, my mind was just like, okay, this is enough. And no more needs to happen. Yeah. So that's kind of how mastering works for me. I don't, as much as I used to think that I, no, I did used to meter too much. Um, now it's just kind of by feel. And it's like, okay, perfect. This is, this is perfect and ready to go. And then you look at the meter and then you compare it to the other songs. You balance the album out and you're like, yep, here you go. So, but just know that if like you do send like a heated mix or something like that, that, um, or if you do send that to clients, that that is being sent to the mastering engineer. That's, yeah. I get a lot of those. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's you as well, Sam, but I get, I get a ton of those and I'm thankful. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I've got. I, I actually have not even looked at our schedule for this whole, <laughs> for this whole episode. Just kind of, just kind of chatting. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, this whole thing starts at like the creation process and this whole uh, concept of literally anything has the ability to change everything. Right. And there was a mix that I had received um, from a band in town. And they're a really good sounding band. I've actually wanted to work with them for quite some time. And they have the, they send all, they've been sending all their masters off to this guy in Germany, which I always thought was kind of amusing. And I'm like, hey, bro, I'm like, just right here. And you don't have to deal with the time difference or anything else. And I'd love to master your stuff. Um, uh, when I got it, I was like, something just sounds a little bit off. And I said, hey, how do you have these vocals spread? And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I actually, I, I do have them pretty well. I was like, yeah, I'm just not really getting like a really good center image. And it's something I like to do. I really like to communicate with people, whether there's a problem or not, and just like tell them what I love about what they're doing or just discuss anything that I'm hearing. And I said, is there any way that we could just try to get those like, like shooting straight down the center because I listened to some other stuff that you had released and that's seeming like the vibe that you want to go for. So can you check that? And he looked at that and he said, oh, well, yeah. He's like, I actually did do that. And then brings everything to the center and he's like, holy crap, I have a ton more space in here. And then I said, holy crap, we just, we can go a lot louder now. Mm -hmm. So literally anything can change everything. Yep. So hire a good mastering engineer who is going to communicate with you, who's going to take care of your record. Sam and I would love to do that for you. Yes. Um, but this podcast is not an advertisement for us. We're just trying to create a resource. So uh, don't put as much junk as you can in it. Uh, I mean, a terrible source will result in a terrible master. Um, mastering will not fix what mixing cannot. Um, yeah, always leave dynamics. I think we've touched on this in several episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, if you leave us no dynamic, we can't, dynamic range, we can't really do much with that. Um, I've had people send me stuff that's just like clipping a converter as they're going from analog to like Pro Tools or Logic or something. And it's like, I can't really do much with this. And then you see something, 
you see on the mix and it says mix revision six or seven, it's like, I don't think this can be mixed anymore. It's like, because if they change one thing, then, I mean, the client's going to come back and be like, we don't want this. Yep. So make sure you're leaving uh, tons of dynamics. And I mean, the only thing you can do at that point is just mix, is just like slam a limiter more into it to create more like emphasis in certain parts. But it's like, if you're left with nothing, there's not a lot you can do. Right. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> my challenge to you, and like I said, I want to dive into this in future episodes with a guest who may or may not want to do this this episode. I, I don't know. Um, but currently we are trading the access to music and to the creation of music. We are trading that access for quality. And quality is suffering because of that access. So my challenge to you is figure out ways that you can increase your quality um, while still being able to do what you do. Uh, a simple thing that I do around my room is uh, if I'm ever looking for something to upgrade, I'm always saying to myself, what is the weakest part in my chain? And eventually that will get to, oh, well, I could treat this better or I could uh, upgrade my cabling or I could do X, Y, Z. Like I'm, our, my studio is right next to a manufacturing plant and I have a bunch of power swings and I can see that on a meter. And I ran a new power line. And I don't have that now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like bad power is like... Dirty power is like dirty blood. It's going to kill you. <laughs> so find ways to increase your quality and always be doing that. Because it's like... And I, I also find that too. Um, and I, I think I'll wrap, by, wrap my part by saying this. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the access for quality is because people are being really freaking tightwads with their money yeah, and they're not knowing how to manage their money and they're like afraid to invest in themselves and invest in their business, but then their quality just remains the same and it just sounds like trash and they just keep working with like the same junk. Yeah. And I'm not telling you to go out and go buy <clears throat> like that API box board for $15,000. Which, however, I did see one on Vintage King for like 8500 bucks. So if you did want to do that, there's like it's like <laughs> half off. <clears throat> it's like I used one. Um, I'm always looking at gear. I love gear. Mm -hmm. um, but find ways to constantly be upgrading what you're doing. And as you do that, you then demand like a higher clientele because you're offering more value. And... I mean, if you're not offering a higher value, then that's just Darwinism and that's just going to take an effect on you and you're not going to be able to hold on to it. So naturally, by doing something longer, you'll be able to offer more value. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you do something for long enough, you will get better at it incrementally or in large jumps. So invest in yourself and quit being cheap. <laughs> Stop putting, like, eggshells stuff on the walls and, like, actually do, like, solid treatment and do research and... Freaking DM me or Sam. It's like I'm giving out free advice all the time because I just want you to have a really good sounding product. Right. So, and I want you to have happy clients. So, people DM me all the time. I love it. I like talking about that stuff. So, 
I'm to a point where I, I hate gear slots because <laughs> everyone is just everyone's just bitchy. Right. I think I posted something on Instagram the other day where it's like, does anyone go on gear slots and like? And it was the meme of the guy from uh, Lethal Weapon, like I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I feel now. It's like I just want to like talk one on one. Right. And let's let's just do this right and just invest in yourself and start that shift from access to quality. Because I don't think I, I do think it's like a little bit of a revolving door. Um, that you that like just because you're trading that access for quality doesn't mean that you can't make the shift to quality. Even though our first episode was about torrented software, and I'm pro, like Sam and I were talking about this earlier. Even though I'm pro downloading cracks, <laughs> um, because yeah, have that access, and you're not necessarily sacrificing quality for access. Well, to a degree, you might be because it's a uh, it's a version that's non-updatable and it might crash and it's a piece of trash. Once you start making money from that, then purchase the thing and then like like get on the get on the right side of things. So find things that you can do that will give you quality. So I don't know. I probably shouldn't endorse downloading cracks, but <laughs> whatever. Sue me. Sue me. Oh well, I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm done here, Sam. I think I'm done too. That was excellent. Yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of what I said. Anywho, Sam, you got anything else for the people of the podcast land? Uh, just a very quick thank you to everybody who listens, and if you like our show, it's pretty helpful to go onto iTunes and rate us and give us. Stars, I think. I don't even know. I think you like the the comment is like this episode should be explicit, and it's not listed as explicit. (laughs) Yes, Matt is a vulgar human potty mouth. Um, If you dig it and you want to take thirty-seven seconds and go to iTunes after you listen to this and give us a rating, that helps us exist in the podcast world quite a bit more than I realized. So. Um, that's a quick little housekeeping thing. Outside of that, thanks for tuning in. I'm ready to cue some music. I probably already cued it, realistically. Yeah. Future Sam has already cued the music? He has. Do you, like, do you actually make these, or do you, like, have them, like, in reserve? Beats? Beats? Yeah, like, what goes on <laughs> these episodes? Like, are you making them each week, or are you... They're just, like, in reserve. You're like, I've had oh, they're in, hundreds of these. They're usually in reserve. I'm always making beats, so... I mean, I make a... I probably make three beats a week. So I have something... I'm always curious, like, what the, what the next one's gonna be. I mean, sometimes I'll make them custom if we need something super custom, because you say, like, let's have this type of outro... And then I'll make one custom. But most of the time, they're tracks I've made within the last few months. So pretty good. Yeah. I've been a fan of them. Thank you. When you send me the podcast to review, I don't listen to a thing we say. (laughs) I literally go to the intro and the outro. I'm like, oh hell yeah. (laughs) Sam killed this one again. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the kind words. Oh, I love it. And then like when I'm cutting the grass, I'm like, okay, I'll put this thing on. I'll listen to it. So I'll listen to my nonsense. Anywho. Well, let's wrap. Anyway, yeah, y'all, thank you so much for listening. I think uh, 
a week or so ago, we hit uh, over 70,000 downloads, which is insane. Mm-hmm. So I know it's like some podcasts get like 10,000 an episode, but I mean, I'm I'm just happy to get like four people <laughs> listen on an episode. Oh, yeah. It's nice. So and like everyone like comments back to us and like sends good and bad stuff. And I, I haven't gotten any bad stuff. Just a lot of people said, yeah, you we like your like your podcast. And guess what? We're not quitting anytime soon. So nope. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, thank you again for listening. And uh, yeah, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. Sam? Yes. Cue that music. Cueing. Music. <laughs> you're going to sample that like music, music. <laughs> you want me to sample it? No, I really don't. <laughs> I don't really care that much. Okay. If this episode has shown you one thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, goodbye. I'm leaving. (laughs) See ya.